0: Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, EncounterChurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Without further ado, I want to introduce our special guest today. If you can give a wonderful Encounter Church welcome to my friends, our friends, Phil and Kim Rojcic. You guys go.
1: Thank you, Pastor Chris, Pastor Angie, and our church family here for the open door of ministry. And thank you so much for your support over the past two and a half, three years. Uh, the partnership that you have with us enables us to go across the ocean to minister in the country of Papua New Guinea. Um, this morning we want to share a little bit about our strategy for Papua New Guinea. As you see, it's a country that if you compressed it all, it'd be the size of California. The landmass would be over 8 million people, over 800 different languages spoken. I recently looked it up. It's like right now 859 different actual languages spoken in the country. And for the past eight years, since 2010, we have been the only Assembly of God missionaries there. Um, And I We focus on five key ministry areas in the country, and they are pastoral development, next-generation youth and teen challenge or addiction recovery, evangelism and church planting, children's ministry, and health and community development. Those are areas that we have been involved in in the past, since 2010, since we've been in country. We're very excited to say this morning, as you saw in the video, there are now three families coming to Papua New Guinea, ourselves... Uh, Amy and David Julian and Nathan and Tara Anders. Nathan and Tara have transferred, and Amy and David have recently got full appointment to come and work with us in Papua New Guinea. We are very excited about those facts. So our vision for, and our strategy for, you know, if you go into battle, you have a strategy, don't you? And we're going to battle. We're battling in spiritual strongholds and dark places in this country that's held sway over this country for years now. So the strategy with our area director, Brian Webb, and ourselves that we want to focus on is the five different regions of the country we want to send five different family units or missionary units to each region focusing on these five different areas of ministry and have exponential results as a uh, result of that so five different regions five different areas of ministry five families per region making a total of 25 missionaries per country Uh, logistically it's really uh, challenging in Papua New Guinea Uh, over 80 percent of the population live in very remote areas yet you saw a very large city or that is our capital that is the only very large modernish city there the other ones are a little less modern and challenging to live in but we believe that God would have us to work in this strategy to go forth to battle for the country of Papua New Guinea
2: And I echo Kim's sentiments that uh, we're very happy to be here uh, with you and into this land of mystery and beauty. uh, God called me actually in 1978. I was just a brand-new Christian, got saved. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I was seeking the Lord about two months after my salvation, got saved in March of uh, 78. And as I was praying after a Sunday night service, the Lord spoke to my heart, New Guinea. And I came up from that altar just like you. Where is New Guinea? I had no idea where it was at, but I uh, went to my pastor and immediately shared with my pastor, I feel like God just called me to be a missionary to New Guinea. And so I headed off to the library the next day to see if I could find some books and found an atlas and located uh, Papua New Guinea there uh, just north of Australia. And, uh, and then I also got some picture books. And when I saw the pictures, I said, yes, Lord, they definitely need missionaries in Papua New Guinea. All you have to do is Google Papua New Guinea and images. Now, just a warning there, the, some of them are more scantly clothed or, uh, in that regard. But you'll see painted faces, fierce-looking tribal people, and, uh, you know, pig tusks through their noses. Some people grease up their bodies with pig fat. And the more I looked at these pictures, I said, yes, Lord, they definitely need missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And so uh, excited about God's call uh, that he put upon uh, my heart. But you know, God's timetable is different than our timetable. Uh, I ended up uh, going to Bible college and for a couple years, and the Lord redirected my steps to nursing school. I uh, did that for three years, got my RN licensure, and then seeking the Lord again, the Lord redirected my steps to go back to Bible school and finish up uh, my Bible school education. And so it was that second time around that I met my wife, uh, Kim, at Bible college, and uh, we ended up getting married in August of 85. Uh, but before I did that, I took a trip to uh, Papua New Guinea. I had gone to a mission conference put on by University Fellowship back in 84. One of our teachers at the Bible College asked me to go and, and kind of represent the school and pick up some ideas and thoughts and, and bring those back to the mission classes that we have uh, at the Bible College I was attending. And... Uh, while I was there, I checked in and uh, waiting for the first service of the night. And a couple Baptists from Southern California, they came into my room a couple men just shortly later. Uh, they were assigned to be uh, in the same dormitory room as I was. It was at the University of Illinois. And uh, one of them started talking about how he was in New Guinea that summer. And I thought, Lord, over 20,000 people here, and you give me a roommate that was in New Guinea this very summer. You know, there's a lot of divine coincidences when you serve the Lord, Amen. And as I was uh, talking with him, and uh, he had gone out with a summer mission team called a group called Mission Outreach Incorporated out of Bethany, Missouri. And uh, as he talked and uh, shared about that, I felt in my heart that God was speaking to my heart to go on a summer missionary trip with the same group and get an idea and so I came back to Bible school excited two months later when my girlfriend said yes she'll be my wife Uh, we decided that I would go there first of all and then we would marry upon our my return and I'm not sure if she thought about that because Papua New Guinea in some areas was cannibalistic in the past so I think maybe she was making sure that I wasn't going to get eaten first uh, you know before she made a, a lifelong commitment to me but uh excitedly boarded that plane and flew over to Papua New Guinea for the first time. And we flew into the capital, Port Moresby. From there we flew up into the highland city of Garoka. We have an area called the Highlands. It's about a mile above sea level, just a huge area with hundreds of thousands of people uh, living there. And uh, we were met by the missionaries. Uh, it was an interdenominational group that I was traveling with, and we, uh, anyhow, partnered with somebody there. And we just went to construct a building. But when we were met there, the missionaries told us that uh, that that morning on the way to pick us up, they had run over a pig. Well, we didn't think much about it, but pigs in that culture are very valuable. The more pigs you have, uh, the richer you're considered to be. In the Highlands, they still practice polygamy, and, and the man of means has many pigs and can buy many women and have many wives, and that's just the way it works in that particular system for those that don't know uh, Jesus. Well, we didn't think too much about it. We piled into the truck, and I sat in the front with the team leader's wife and the missionary, and then uh, in the back was our young people in a flatbed truck with rails around the side so they wouldn't bounce out on the rough roads, and uh, we got about two hours into our journey, and uh, we stopped for some refreshments, and they told us, you know, uh, just recently a group of students had gone off the the high school campus where we were going to be based at, and their vehicle that they were in had struck a pig. And on the way back, somebody fired an, uh, a, an arrow out of the bush. Now over there, they have bamboo arrows with, you know, very interesting-looking tips, very ornamental. And so they're not as strong as our bows. So, you know, sometimes the arrow just kind of bounces off people if they're far enough away. But, you know, we didn't really put two and two together. You know, this group ran over a pig, and the missionaries had run over a pig that morning. And, uh, but in Papua New Guinea, they have what they call payback. If you do something to me, I'm going to pay you back. You run over my pig, you don't pay me for it. I'm going to pay you back and shoot you with an arrow. And it's just the philosophy over there of uh, payback. Well, we all piled back into the vehicle, excited about our journey. And we rounded this bend and came upon a roadblock. And there were several stones and a log laying across the road. And the missionary brought the truck to a stop. And he said, oh, those kids, they're always playing. I said, here, I can help you. He said, no, don't worry. I can take care of it. And just as he throws this uh, this log off the side of the road all of a sudden these scantily clothed natives come pouring out of the grass bush on the right hand side and one of them have a knife and come at the missionary and he grabs his wrist and they wrestle off to the side of the road and they look like they're beating them and some with bows and arrows jumped on the back of our truck and and all our young people are couched down and the lady next to me she's saying oh Jesus oh Jesus and I'm praying with tongues as the spirit of God gives utterance and I'm thinking man I've got to get out and help this missionary and so I opened up my door I don't know where that bravery came from brother Chris but all of a sudden it was there. And as I opened up my door, there was one of those natives with a, a bow and arrow about this far away from my face, and, and I'm still praying in tongues, and I'm thinking, well, the reason they're not killing us is because he he can understand the language I'm praying in. You see, when I was in Bible school, I read a, a book called uh, by H.B. Garlock. And he was a missionary in Africa back in the early 1900s when they literally had cannibals and people ate missionaries. And, uh, and in that book, he was getting ready to kill him and put him to death and eat him. And all of a sudden, he spoke in a tongue language he had never spoken in before. And it was the very language of that tribal chief that had power to put him to death. And as, as that That man heard him, he suddenly changed his mind about killing that missionary. And H.P. Garlock later wrote a book called Before We Kill and Eat You. And and I had read that book in Bible school, so I thought, well, that's the reason they're not killing me. And, you know, by that time, another guy came over there, pushed the door shut. My leg is caught in the door. and finally got it in. We started, uh, as that happened, a guy with his face all painted up, looked like the devil incarnate, jumped into the driver's seat. And I thought, man, we're going to supper and we're going to be the supper. And so I started rebuking him in the name of Jesus. And we're rolling on down down the road about a mile or two and finally he pulls the truck to the side and he looks at me and smiles a little bit and he makes a motion like this and he says "Praise the Lord. Welcome to Papua New Guinea." <clears throat> and I knew we had been had by a practical joke in Papua New Guinea. Well, that was my welcome. You think I'd never go back there again, but uh I did. I asked the Lord, Lord, I don't understand this. What what, what happened? I I was really serious about the way I was praying, and the Lord seemed to speak to my heart and say, I just wanted to let you know if you ever do get in a situation like that, I'm going to be with you. Amen. And uh, we did later on, actually, a man with a machete came into our house. But that's another story. But thank God I have a wife that knows how to rebuke people in the name of Jesus. I, I wrestled with him, kind of like Jacob, Jacob wrestled with the angel. And Kim was yelling, get out of our house in the name of Jesus. And the moment he got out of my grasp, boom, he was gone. So the Lord was uh, keeping us safe. But praise the Lord. So anyhow, came back, uh, youth minister for three years, and we had our first girl went into pastoral ministry, the assemblies of God said, you need to pastor two years. So we moved down to Springfield, went to seminary, uh, found a church to pastor and one more girl came. Now we're up to two. Um, then the Lord opened up the door for us to go back to where I did my Bible school, uh, studies and, uh, became a teacher there for, I believe it was two and a half years. And we were blessed with another boy and uh, we thought we would stop right there because at that time the assemblies of God had a policy of only three children. Well, Michaela is actually our fourth. And, uh, we came up expecting a fourth child and, uh, you know, I kind of joking around with her before breakfast, uh, the breakfast this morning, I said, my first joke is going to be about you that, uh. Uh, you know, we actually, um, you know, I, I was going to joke around and say that my wife and I kind of talked about putting her up for adoption because that way we could still stay at the three children limit. But but that never entered into the thought processes. Amen. But in Papua New Guinea, they actually do that. They turn their kids over. They get several. They turn them over to one of their sisters. Hey, this one's yours. You can't have a kid. Here you are. But anyhow. Uh, so... But the Lord worked it out. A year later, the Assemblies of God changed their policy, and they let us slide in as a missionary, and we were missionaries in Vanuatu for about 11 years. It was a great place to raise our family, but in 2010, we made the transition because we knew we had a call for Papua New Guinea, and the door had opened up there. And so Zach and Michaela were still uh, young enough to go with us, and they uh, went with us to Papua New Guinea. New Guinea, And so we have come alongside the National Church there, which started in 1948 by the Australian Assemblies of God, and now they're present in all provinces of the five regions. We have nearly 200,000 believers or people that identify with the Assemblies of God. 180,000 on the census. We have about 130,000 in our church each week, so we have to work on those other 50,000 to go back and get them again. But it's great that they're saying, we're assemblies of God. Amen. But you've got to be a little bit more than that. You've got to be in church and serving the Lord. But uh, our work has been in these five areas, and I just want to highlight some things real quick. We've been involved in pastoral development, and I put uh, church planning and evangelism with that at all. You know, as the only couple there from 2012 to 2020, it's kind of hard to do everything and uh, you end up with a lot of iron in the fire, and you have to be careful. But I've been primarily involved in Bible school ministry. We have four regional Bible schools, three-year diplomas, and one national Bible college with a four-year bachelor degree and teach block courses. We've been able to uh, uh, help them with their libraries, providing uh, vast numbers of books uh, into their libraries, teacher resource libraries. Um, Also, we've also... uh, uh, sorry we've also worked on their uh, course situation standardizing what courses we were offering in what year and uh, just supporting the principal with summits and, and giving them encouragement you know sometimes they feel like they're isolated and out there alone but they're not and uh, we just wanted to be able to be there uh, for them and so we've been mobilizing students any any time in one year we'll usually have somewhere around 125 students all together in those five colleges and they're all preparing for evangelism teach plant uh, uh, teaching church planting discipling I mean they are the people that are really doing the work on the front lines. and you know Paul talked about pouring your life into someone so that they in turn can pour their lives into someone else and just mobilizing the entire church to be involved in the work of God. And so we're looking forward to more workers coming in assisting us, uh, especially in the area of church planting. The Anders really have a a call in that regards and being able to coordinate it with our leadership in Papua New Guinea to do more strategizing as far as where do we need to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to yet. Children's ministry, my wife primarily with that, Sunday school workshops, uh, providing Sunday school curriculum. Uh, BGMC has blessed us with a Nice uh, duplicator, Light for the Lost, provided funding at this particular time to produce the Sunday school books that we passed out with the fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. They were very excited to get that curriculum. They said, you know, we have all this other Sunday school curriculum, but we don't have one for from the Assemblies of God. So they were excited about that. Next Gen Youth and... Uh, Teen Challenge in 2016, uh, we had a, a gentleman come from Asia-Pacific uh, Global Teen Challenge, introduced Teen Challenge Ministry, and uh, the Lord just uh, allowed me to, to meet a particular individual that was already doing work with addiction recovery and uh, doing a good work with it. And our hearts were bound together. And uh, so we're assisting this man who's running a day center to go to a residential center, a full assembly of God, Uh, not a full assembly of God, but a full Teen Challenge Center in Papua New Guinea. We hope to start one in one of our Assemblies of God churches as well. So God's doing some exciting thing. They have a lot of youth camps in Papua New Guinea. A lot of youth are excited for the Lord, and we just need to see them to go on in maturity and growth and health and community development. And so those are just some of the areas that we work in, but we understand you might have some questions, and so we will be available after the service. We have a nice table out there. If you haven't gone out there yet, we have a a little bit of a bug display there with about a six-inch bug uh, inside one of those boxes. Sometimes I joke around and say, those are just our bed bugs in Papua New Guinea, but uh, but they're not really. But, uh, but it's great to be here, and we really need your prayers for Papua New Guinea. We're believing God for greater and mightier things that we've never seen before. And, and we believe that God will do miracles and bring many more people uh, into the kingdom of God. But I'd like to share from the Word with you this morning as well. So if you can go with me to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. This is a prophecy of, of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as you read this, it's Isaiah writing, but in a sense, it's really Jesus talking. And then you see some of the Father's interaction with Jesus. So this prophecy was written nearly eight, nine hundred years before Christ even came into this world. But a prediction. It's one of the servant uh, songs of the Book of Isaiah. There's four of those. But listen to this, verse one. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, you people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the womb of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, and a shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And he said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel. Now Jesus was the perfect Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for naught and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. But I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles, that you may be my salvation unto the ends. Of the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'd bless your word today. Thank you for the honor and privilege, Lord of, Lord, of being on this platform, of being able to share what you want to speak to hearts today. So, Lord, I pray that it would be effective and touch. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I believe that we are living in exciting days. I know as we watch the news, some of us get disturbed, some of us get fearful, some of us get nervous, but you know, living in the last days has its benefits. God, has touched our lives and is preparing to use us in mighty and great ways. Sometimes I think Adam and Eve, they started this all off, and we may be the generation that actually finishes it all off. God has placed a heavy responsibility upon us, but he believes in us. I believe that. Paul said, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Amen? And a major part of our ministry is reaching the lost, helping them to know Jesus Christ. And that brings us to mission. Mission always brings us back to Jesus, and Jesus always brings us back to missions. Amen? And we need to be involved in the work of missions. Many times we consider that the message of salvation, and there is a whole lot more than that. But we do have that responsibility of taking this gospel into all the world. And so Isaiah chapter 49, this passage of scripture is actually very special to me. It was back in 1985 when I was getting ready to take that first trip to the South Pacific, and we were waiting for the bus to pick us up at the, uh, the grounds there in Bethany, Missouri, and take us to the airport in Kansas City. And I was having my devotions that morning. I was jumping here and there in the Word of God and just reading scriptures here and there. And, you know, there's times we read the Bible, but we don't necessarily feel anything. But then there's other times that you read the Bible, and all of a sudden you just feel a special presence of the Lord come down, and and you feel like little things going up and down your spine, like, wow, God is really talking to me out of His Word. And God does that. He likes to speak to us out of His Word. And that's what was happening on that particular day. I just sensed the presence of God, and, and God was opening these verses to me, especially Especially verses 1 through 6 and, and seemingly setting it out like a road map. And of course, I didn't understand all the implications at that particular time, but I knew enough about the Bible that knew that, well, you know, this may be something that the Lord is talking to me about, but I know that this verse is about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's about His call. It's about His commission from the Father. It's about His preparation. It's about His influence within the world. But you know what? God is interested in us as well. He's interested in calling us. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. And when he calls us and purposes our life to do something, there is a time of preparation. But then there is also a launching forth to do the work that God has called us to do. Amen. And as I was looking at these scriptures and I read that verse 1, Listen, O isles unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the womb of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And I thought about this verse, and I began to ponder the scripture where it said, Listen, O isles unto me, and I knew I was going to the second largest island in the world. But there was questions in my mind as to why should anybody listen to me? Who is Phil Rojack, you know? When I grew up, you know, I was in junior high, and junior high can be kind of you know, how many of you people had a little rough time in junior high? You know, if you're not quite the popular one, sometimes you get a lot of flack, and I got a lot of flack. And all I was doing was just trying to keep to myself, kind of a quiet guy, but you know, they kind of looked at me as like a target, you know, and they like to do things with names. And when they looked at me, they didn't call me Rojack, they called me Reject, Reject, you know, and so I heard that a lot during my junior high days Reject, 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 and you know, you begin to get these little thoughts in your mind, like, wow. Maybe somebody doesn't like me. And you know, when when I begin to think about this verse, listen a while unto me, I'm thinking, well, who is Phil Rojak? But you know, as I pondered and thought further, you know, I thought about the ministry of Christ. You know, he bore our rejection. Hebrews talks about that. But you know, he came into this world. He came to follow the Father's will. And a part of that was the rejection at the cross of Calvary. And you know, as far as his ministry was concerned, he ministered effectively among his disciples. But in the end the crowds were saying, crucify him, crucify him. And maybe that's why he says in verse 4, and just a, a plainness of seeing the heart of Jesus, he says, then I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And so Jesus was at a low point in his ministry but right then the father provides an encouragement and says look son not only am I going to use your death to bring the the remnant of Israel to come back to me but I'm also going to give you a light to the Gentiles to the uttermost parts of the earth the message of what you did upon the cross of Calvary. And so yes the world said crucify him, crucify him. But three days later he came out victorious over the grave. He met his disciples, met his disciples in a special way and commissioned them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul talked about being an apostle out of due season, but it's interesting as he and Barnabas marched out into their missionary ministry, that as they went into one particular synagogue and shared Jesus Christ, they experienced that rejection. But this is what they told the Jews. He said, for so the Lord hath commanded us, saying, I have accepted thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation.'" salvation unto the ends of the earth. He took Isaiah 49:6. They applied it to their own ministry that God had called them to be a light of God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And you know, Paul shined brightly. He did his work and his ministry. But there was a day that he put his head upon the chopping block of Rome. His head was severed from his body, but that didn't kill the church of Jesus Christ because it had been planted all over the Roman empire by that time. The work of God continued to go forward for 2,000 years. People have been preaching Jesus Christ. There's been ebbs and flows in this work. But I want to encourage you, friend. I feel like we're at a high ebb right now, that many souls are coming into the kingdom of God worldwide. Why? Because God is still sending out reflections of his light through the lives of people like ourselves, like the lives of some of you who will be called into foreign ministry or home ministry. And those of you who are just a witness, and it's not just, you are a witness in your community. You are a light. God has a plan and a purpose in your being there. And so I come back to the original question, what gives me a right to speak up? Well, the same Lord that called Jesus, the same Lord that called Paul, he also called me. You know, I wasn't born in the best of circumstances. I'm very thankful for my parents who took me to a church. But that church never taught us how to be born again, how to give our lives to Jesus Christ, how to know for sure that we were going to heaven. But they did teach about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I never denied the existence of God. I knew God was there. My prayer was very formal in our Father who art in heaven. And that was the measure of my reaching out to God. And so God knew my life. The scripture says, from my mother's womb hath he called me. Amen? And as I begin to think and ponder this passage of scripture, you know, because I didn't know Christ, my life went into a life of alcohol and, and drugs and rock and roll. These were the main influences within my life in my teenage years. But, you know, I always wanted to see you in the United States. I grew up in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And in 1977, I graduated from high school. And, and I thought I'd ride a bike across the United States. And, and I went by my own. Oh, my, my cousin was going to go with me, but he ran off and joined the Marines. He was one year ahead of me. And uh, he joined the Marines. And so i going to do it. And so four days late. Four days, I traveled 365 miles on my bicycle, 80 miles a day, made it to a state park in, in Indiana. My cook stove went out. I got the scourge and, and my sister and brother-in-law had moved down to Missouri. And so they had, were coming up to visit my family in Ohio. And so I Called him up and said, can I travel back with you? Later found out my brother-in-law wasn't too happy about driving 20 miles off the interstate to pick me up. But nevertheless, they got me, and they took me back. But I still had a desire to see the United States, so I went to work, made some more money. By this time, my cousin that was supposed to go with me on that bike ride, he had gone over to Hawaii in the service of uh, Uncle Sam. And I flew over there to meet with him. Now, he was my party buddy. We smoked marijuana all the time together. We, we went to rock concerts. We did a lot of things together. And so we just picked up right where we left off, smoking marijuana in Hawaii every day and hitting the beer pretty hard. But, you know, I'm glad there was a God in heaven who was making mention of my name. He had a plan for my life, and he was working out circumstances so that I would come to know him as Lord and Savior. You know, my funds were running low, and my cousin said, you better get back to the mainland. So I found a ticket to San Diego, California. Had another cousin up in Washington State, so I stuck out my thumb. Four days later, I made it up there uh, near uh, uh, Puget Sound, that area of... uh, Washington. I gave him a call. He didn't know I was coming. I'm real bad with that. I still do it today, and my wife gets aggravated at me. You got to call them. We're going to be going there soon, you know, and so anyhow, I, I gave him a call and said, hey, I'm right at such and such place. He said, right, that's right down the hill from me. You wait there. I'll be right there, and so he rushes down, and, and he me, picks me up, and, and I didn't realize his wife wasn't quite as excited as he was about seeing me. We just sat around and drank some beers, but she went to work right away trying to find a place where, where I can find some work, but jobs were difficult back in 77, but finally found a job harvesting Christmas trees, and two weeks later, I was moving out on my own and moved into a one-bedroom apartment and started harvesting Christmas trees. About a week later, my job was to feed trees into a machine and get netted up, and sometimes, uh, I'm sorry, on the other side, there'd be a couple girls cutting that netting, and the ship would uh, go out. This was about October, preparing for Christmas of 1977, Well, one day there was no trees coming down the line, and this one girl comes around, introduced herself, Joanne, told her my name was Phil, and I found out she was going the same way to and from work that I was. It was about three miles, and every morning I was hitchhiking, and you know, it was really dark in Washington State in the morning, and walking through that rural area and seeing all those trawl trees and things like that, those evergreens, and I was looking at those trees. I couldn't see a thing, and all I could think about was one thing. Bigfoot. I mean, I knew he was out there, and sooner or later, he was going to come crashing through those trees. And so I asked that girl, I said, how do you come to work? And she said, I drive through such and such a place. I said, well, I live there. Can you pick me up and drop me off? And she started doing that. And, you know, I was looking at this girl. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of evaluating her. Back then, we had a scale of 1 to 10, you know. And and I'm thinking, you know, I learned a long time in high school. You know, don't go up to the 10s. Don't go up to the 9s. and, And the 8s are even borderline because most of the time, I'm going to get rejected, and the uh, only so other that old reject coming back in again, you know, so I kind of tried to stay in the middle of the road there, and so I was evaluating this girl trying to think and get my courage to ask her up for a date, and I didn't realize that she was trying to get her courage up as well to ask me something, and so one day it finally came to a head. We're driving back to, the, the, to my home, and she said, I said to her, I said, would you like to go to a movie, and she said, no, but she said, would you like to come to a Bible study, and I said, Sure. And I went to the Bible study, and when I went into that Bible study, the people started singing and putting their hands in the air, and I thought, these people are crazy. What did I get myself into? You know, we had a lot of movements in our church. It was like kind of like an aerobic type thing, sit down, kneel, stand up, and all sorts of things, but we never put our hands up in the air, and so I got a little bit nervous, and then they started praying to Jesus like he was right there, and I thought, man, don't they know our Father, the Hail Mary, or something like that, but, and I was keeping my eyes open because I thought Jesus was going to show up uh, in that place, and I wanted to be able to see him, but I got nervous, and I laughed, and, but she invited me back again and she's my ride so I went and at one time I went there and smoked marijuana before I went and we went and there was a singing in that church by Evie some of you older folks might remember her but she was singing a song is there anyone here that wants to go to heaven say I do and I had hair down on my shoulders at that time I had Levi jeans on you know nothing against Levi jeans or anything like that but I mean they were just kind of the old fashioned Levi jeans and I put my hands in the air and said yes I want to go to heaven but I had no idea how to get there but I'm glad there was a God in heaven who was making mention of my name. Amen. And, uh, and I began to feel something I never felt before. I began to feel wrong about some of the things I was doing, smoking marijuana, drinking beer. She never said anything about any of those things. And so I did whatever every good sinner does. I went into the negotiation phase with God. I said, okay, God, I'll quit smoking marijuana, but I won't quit drinking beer. And, you know, the harvest came. I mean, the harvest of Christmas trees was over. I left Washington State. I still didn't really know the Lord, but God was working in my heart. I flew to Missouri to meet my sister and brother-in-law and then drove up to Ohio for Christmas. He said, why don't you come down to Missouri? And I did. And just to make a long story short, he and I, we liked to drink, and we drank a lot. I didn't smoke marijuana at all because it wasn't around me, wasn't the temptation wasn't there. The job I thought he could get, he get it fell through. But I found a job two months later at a soap factory. And the first day on the job, these guys, this one guy warned me, watch out for so and So I said, why? He said, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. I said, what is he? He said, he's a Jesus freak. And I said, oh, no, they're coming out everywhere. But that's how it is when God is making mention of your name. Three days, I went out with these same guys on their lunch break, not the Christian, but they smoked marijuana, and I smoked it because I wanted to be accepted. Second day, same thing. Third day. But every day I had to come back and work with that Christian. And there I was working with them on that third day, and two of those guys came over and started making fun of Jesus. And when they started making fun of Jesus, I said, I heard a voice in my head said, What are you going to do now, Phil? You going to make fun of me too, or are you going to defend me? And before I know it, I said, You guys are wrong. This guy's right. From now on, I quit smoking and drinking, and those guys just ran away, and that Christian invited me to church, and on Sunday morning, I went into that service, and I mean, it was an AOG church, an Assembly of God church, and found out later that church out in Washington State, it was also an Assembly of God church, but you know, the preacher preached, and he was from Oklahoma, and he was up there going, holly, 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 hallelujah. And, you know, I'm looking at this guy like, whoa, what did I get myself into there? And, uh, but he gave the altar call, and my hand went up. And I didn't know I was supposed to put it back down. You know, I was kind of new in this stuff. And so he asked it a second time for somebody else. And I thought, well, that applies too. So you to saw, sing that song, Surrender. I was surrendering. I still didn't know I was supposed to put it down. I guess if he would have said a third, I'd have put my leg up too. But he didn't do that. He got me to the front. And I prayed that sinner's prayer. And can I tell you, friends, my life was changed and transformed. Why? Because there was a God in heaven who was making mention of my name. And I want to encourage you today that he's still making mention of names. And he calls us to salvation. And he has a plan and a purpose for our life. And I want you to know he has a plan and a purpose for you. You might think, well, I'm a nobody. But I want to tell you. In God, you're a somebody. Amen? God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I don't know where you're at today, but I want to encourage you. God knows who you are. But you know, when God calls us, he also has a work for us to do. He has a plan and purpose for our life. And that's what verse 2 is all about. He said, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. There's an anointing that comes into our life that we didn't have before. He said here that he hides us in the shadow of his hand. He he hid, hid me, and that's where he works on those things like feelings of rejection, feelings of shortcoming. But I like this last part. He made me a polished shaft in his quiver. Hath he hid me. You know what? God is into archery hunting, amen? He's into preparing arrows for the day of battle, and that's what I felt like getting ready to go to Papua New Guinea. I felt like I was an arrow being dropped into the quiver of God, and God pulled that arrow back on that bow and said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Friend, it's all about verse 3, and that's bringing glory and honor to God. And I want to challenge you today. Submit your life fully and completely to Jesus Christ, and you'll really enjoy the ride. It's been great to be with you. God bless you.
0: We'll conclude this service in a few moments as praying for Phil and Kim. I'll have them come back up. But I want to give you an opportunity. Phil spoke direct to our hearts today that there's a God in heaven who makes mention of our name. Maybe you're here today and you've never really thought about that. Maybe you're here today and you never knew, really knew that God has called you out, that God loves you, the Bible says in John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life." I want you to know today that because of God, because of the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross of Calvary, we can have hope. And that's a big word, especially in the year 2020. Everything around us seems hopeless. It's every, every month's a new journey. Every month's a new adventure. We just wait to see what the next month brings. But I want you to know that, that Jesus offers hope for you. He's made mention of your name. While you were still in your formative stages in your mama's belly, he looked at you and said, you know what? I love you. I already know everything about you. I already know what you're going to do in your life. And I love you. So if you would this morning, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I haven't asked Jesus into my life. I haven't asked him to come in to forgive me of my sins, to make me brand new. But today, you want to do that. See, the Bible says that if we confess our sins... In other words, if we share with him, Lord, I've messed up. Lord, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done. Lord, I, I've gone some places. I've had some thoughts. I've, Lord, I haven't always responded the way that I should have. That if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all the wrong that we've ever done. So if you're here today and you want to take that moment and you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. If that's you, would you raise your hand? All across the house, is that you? You want to give your life to Jesus? Yes, there's one. Are there others? Is that you? Maybe, maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I just need greater boldness. Maybe you've had moments like Phil where, where you were sitting around and there were people that were speaking against God and, and in fear you didn't stand up for Him. And God is asking you today, will you take a stand for me? You see, I just need greater strength, greater boldness to be a witness for God. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Can I pray with you this morning? Yeah, there's one. If you could, can you all stand all across the house with me this morning? I want to ask my prayer partners, my leaders are in the room today, if you'll come at this time and, and line the front. In just a moment, the worship team is going to begin to lead us in this song. And if if you raised your hand for either question this morning, I'm going to ask you very take a very bold step. I'm going to ask you to leave your seats to come and find one of these prayer partners. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but right now in this moment, you feel that God is stirring something in your hearts. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is nudging you right now. So if that is you, as we begin to sing this song, as we begin to worship the Lord some more, would you take a bold step? Would you leave your seat? Come, find one of these prayer partners. Let them pray with you today. Here we go.